welcome. You have once again made your way into the perilous realms. And I am your host, Paul Lytle. We, uh, we, we started in on the Hallow Ground last week. And so if you, for some reason, missed that, this is part two of that, of that book. So I really encourage you to, to go back and, and you know, start from the beginning. Uh, we will get into a little bit of a recap here, but um, I have to tell you, I'm uh, I, I'm really excited about this podcast. I'm uh, these first couple of episodes I'm recording before the first one is released, and so I'm really anxious to hear how uh, what everybody thinks of of this book and uh, of the of the podcast. Um, I'm very excited uh, see to see where this thing goes. Um, I am also working on. Uh, I, I worked on a little bit today on on the next book, and I'm gonna have more information on that because it, it does look like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get this serialized. So we'll get some chapters out of the next book fairly soon. Um, if uh, if you though are enjoying my audiobooks, I would really encourage you if you're a Twitch user uh, to to go um, follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash technofunkboy. The reason I'm gonna say that is this next book, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing the audiobook kind of as we go, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get a, like a few chapters written and then record that section of the audiobook. And I and I'm gonna record it live on Twitch. And so you're going to be able to hear how the story develops as we go. And uh, you actually get to hear all the mistakes I make uh, while recording audiobooks before I edit those out. Uh, so um, yeah, I hope to see y'all uh, see y'all over there. Um, like I said, we started the Hallowing of Ground last time. And, uh, and, and where we started things was with a, uh, with a young boy named Wassum and Wassum very, very accidentally invited a vampire into his home, thinking that this vampire was actually going to be like a, like a ghoulish servant for the family. Um, the, the vampire whose name was Fortosio was, was more than willing to let, uh, let Wassum think whatever he wanted to think. Uh, and thus began kind of a nightly terror on the town of Felstad. Meanwhile, our daring heroes, a blind hunter named Crethen, a gnomish gunslinger Sprocket, and a warrior Morella come to town and they're actually seeking safety from other vampires uh, who are currently seeking their deaths. And uh, while they are very excited to get to a small and secluded town, they are not uh, not overly thrilled to find out that um, they have uh, they have jumped out of the firing, frying pan and into the fire with yet another vampire. And so from that point, let's get rolling on this. Crethen, we have to help. Morella was pleading with him as he was putting the harness back on their horse. They cannot face this thing. We can. No, we can't, Crethen said sternly. There was a look of pleading in her eyes. Crethen, please. They are not equipped to handle this thing. And we are? He was looking at her, and despite the scarf over where his eyes once were, she felt his gaze upon her. A record against vampires hasn't been great lately, I'll remind you. We nearly died a week ago. We didn't, though, and that was no ordinary vampire. And in its anger, it destroyed a huge section of the town. He stopped his work for a moment and went to her, putting his hands on her shoulders affectionately. 
Mirella, this is not our mission. My duty, my oath, was to protect you. We can't do that here. I cannot protect you and everyone else too. Sprocket was in the corner, his hat tilted down over his eyes, but he said, Might not be a bad idea, though. Crethen was confused. What? The gnome shook his head. We're not very long to nightfall, and if that vampire figures out we've been here, we're not going to get far enough to escape. He'll be on us soon enough. He's right, Morella said. It's been days since he drank human blood. If the townspeople are in the church and we're on the open road, he's going to try and come for us. The blind man snorted, shaking his head. Since when did you start making sense, Sprocket? The gnome looked up. Oh, I don't know. Seems to me staying here might be more worthwhile than leaving. We have the protection of the church grounds, for one. You sneak, Crethen said suddenly, a slight grin appearing on his face. You want to go play with that aqueduct? Well, Sprocket shrugged innocently. While we're here, Morella grinned at that. She turned back to Crethen, her smile warm, but her eyes darted to his gently shaking hands, and the smile started to fade. He must have noticed because he covered for them by kneeling and giving Gizmo a good rub around his neck. She cleared her throat and said, We're going to have to deal with this one one way or another, Crethen. Once the Dark One is gone, it's going to fall on us to hunt the other ones. Better to do it now, so that when it calls for help against us, this one cannot answer. He thought for a time, finally said, Okay, we stay. Tonight, just tonight. We'll find out what we can. Tomorrow we decide what we do from there. And I don't want a lot of people knowing who we are. The last thing we need is for the entire region to think we're some vampire hunters. We've already lost too much. He pet the dogs some more who just panted happily for the attention. I'll get Berggren out. He'll watch over us from above without drawing too much attention. Jank already knows who we are, Sprocket offered. He can help us. The human man nodded, and he began untying the bridle from the horse, muttering as he went. Previous fight against vampires didn't go well either. 4. Jank Mullen seemed genuinely happy. It was good to see someone happy, especially someone who had just seen half a city wiped out a week earlier, only to return to one of his favorite places to find it being tormented by a vampire. But Jenk seemed the sort to be pleased with a mug of ale and a good meal and pleasant folk, even if those people would soon run and hide from an undead monster trying to kill them. It was strange the way that people were. Years had the Dark One ruled over the land. Centuries, maybe. At first, it hadn't been so different. Frankly, his minions were slow in getting around the countryside, so maybe one of them would stroll into a town once a year and cause some trouble. But darkness upon the land is not so easily ignored. It taints the very soil and air. It started to rain more, and the sun shone a lot less. The vampires were slow to multiply, but they did, in fact, multiply. And with them came a number of other creatures and monsters. Hell-spawned beasts that started showing up for what they heard were friendly lands to their type. Crops started yielding less. Livestock had more stillborn calves. With more monsters came more need for food. Yes, at first it seemed a trivial thing, but now everyone's life had been touched dramatically by the darkness. And yet, life went on. There remained times for mourning and times for laughing. The laughter wasn't as hearty, but it was there. 
There were marriages and funerals, and births and deaths. The fire in their eyes had dwindled, but Jenk had been wrong about one thing. The fire wasn't out within the people. It was smoldering, though. It remained to be seen what would cause those embers to spark to life again. The tavern was becoming more crowded, but Jenk sat with the four in the far corner where no one would come by. Crethen faced the wall. He was able to observe everyone quite adequately, no matter which direction he faced, but he found that facing away from others brought fewer questions. Jenk sat across from them, and Gizmo's head was in his lap, being petted quite vigorously for a very long period of time. Quite right, of course, Jenk was saying, giving Gizmo's snout a two-handed rub. No need to spread the word of who you are. That carriage out there is going to draw some questions, though. We're on our way to meet the rest of our troop in Brenninshire, Mirella said. What kind of act do you do? Jenk was saying, playing along. Oh, I'm the ringmaster. My talent is telling people what is coming next and where to look. Oh, but I'm certain they will all be looking at you. Oh, I'm sure, she said, narrowing her eyes and shaking her head, but she was smiling at the warm-hearted compliment. Crethen fortune teller. Jenk clapped in excitement. <laughs> yes, of course, that is very good. Can you do it? Can you retell my future? Crethen deadpan. I see the sun going down before we are finished here if we don't get on with it. Both Mirella and Jenk instinctively looked to Sprocket for his circus talent, only to find him tinkering on the desk with a life-size mechanical frog made up in the dull gray of metal and screws that held it together. There were gears within that churned, and a quick burp of steam popped out from its mouth with the sound of a distinct ribbit. What? Sprocket said, suddenly realizing that everybody was looking at him. The merchant took a big sip and had barely set the mug down before he said, I wouldn't mind letting the constable know, though. I mean, it's up to you three. I won't go behind your back, but he's a good man, and he's been the one who has been trying to take this thing on himself. You know him well? Cretan asked. Years now. He was a farmer before, had a big family. They are gone now, a year or so back. When when all the happenings happened, the town was left without a constable, and I think the town asked him to do it just to keep him occupied. He got the brunt of it, you know, whole family. Anyway, he turned out quite right for the job, and is likely to be there until he's dead, too. Mirella looked at his friends, then back to Jeng. What happenings? The brunt of what? Jenk looked embarrassed. Oh, you haven't heard then. Getting to be sundown, folk, cried out a middle-aged man from the door. Time to be heading out. The room came together in a singular focus as everyone stood, gathered their things, and began to file out. A few coins were left on the table, and Feathers and his waitress, a girl named Aydra, who couldn't be more than twelve, were fanatically gathering those plates and leftovers and hauling them back to the kitchen. Feathers, will he be okay here? Crethen asked. A few of the men stay with him and the girl, Jenk said as they were also getting up. They don't stay too long, just get cleaned up a bit and then leave. The drinks are on me tonight, my friends. I am happy you decided to stay. This place perhaps needs a bit of hope, you know? Mirella nodded but said, You are telling us what happened here. Oh, Jenk waffled as he thought. To be frank with you, I'm not sure it is my story to tell. The people around here are a bit touchy on the subject. If we weren't migrating over into a big church filled with them, I might be more apt to say. 
But if you plan to see Odwin tomorrow, oh, oh, he's the constable, Odwin. He'll be the best person to fill you in. Grethin frowned at that. Jake noticed. Don't get me wrong, my friends. I'm not trying to keep any secrets from you, but, well, see here. By that time, they had crossed the narrow street and into the church across the way. The inside was chaos. The pews had been moved around, making little rooms scattered around the floor, marking off territory of one family or another. There were blankets and clothing scattered about, for it was far too crowded to keep things organized. Children ran around in a massive game of tag, the adults having to watch themselves to keep from tripping over the little ones. The adults of town were shuffling the spots already claimed probably days before. In fact, these spaces had a very lived-in look to them. These people were not bringing blankets in for the night. The blankets were already there. Ahead of them, just to the edge of Crethen's perception, was the altar, sitting atop a wide platform with a pulpit to the left. On the wall was a cross. Crethen's attention was fixed there a moment, only to be drawn back by Gizmo's scampering. He was having trouble containing his excitement, and his tag wagged vigorously. Travelers, I see, a small man said as he sidled up next to them. Crethen recognized him as the priest they had seen in the graveyard earlier that day, but he didn't mention it. Father, Jenk said, yes, these are Crethen, Mirella, and Sprocket. They're on their way to Brennenshire and stopped here. I am Father Hagen, said the man, his graying hair spilling over onto his face as he bowed slightly. He was a kindly sort, but aged well beyond his years. He seemed somewhat nervous, looking over his shoulder as they walked for no apparent reason. But having a vampire in town will do that to a person. I fear you've reached us at a bad time. Have you been told of why we are all gathered here? I think it's because of the vampire, Father, Sprocket said quite loudly so that he could be heard. But I'm sure your sermons are quite popular too, though. The priest chuckled at that. Come, I have a place you can stay for tonight. Are you planning to be here long? Crethen answered, saying, I'm not sure. We weren't expecting to run into any undead here. Egan openly laughed at that. You're foreigners, he said, shaking his head. I will tell you something of our land, Crethen. Days without undead are gone. Wherever you go, they will be there in one form or another. He led them to a room off the main one, a simple office with a desk and a few old and dusty books stacked on the table. There were plenty of blankets stacked by the door. Apparently this was the storage for things the townspeople might need. It was no wonder this man seemed so worn out. It was clear he was taking his role of servant to the people quite seriously in the nights. As if on cue, he said, I'm afraid we don't have separate quarters for everyone. I, I so hope this madness will pass in time, and the next time you are here, you will have a warm bed in the inn. But for tonight, this will afford you some privacy. I will not be bothering you. I will stay with the others. Please seek me out if you need anything. Good night. Manuela nodded to him. Do you happen to have a goose-down pillow? Sprocket said. It's fine. Crescent started before the priest could explain that they did not. Thank you for everything. With that, the man was gone. Jank had wandered off from their journey at some point in the trip, but would not likely see them again that night. They would find him in the morning, though, easily enough. Mirella took some blankets and moved over to one corner and began laying them out. Sprocket, as quietly as he could, leaned over to Crethen and asked, Do you need me to head out for a few minutes? What? Crethen asked. Sprocket screwed up his face and motioned toward Mirella with his head. You know... He leaned in and lowered his voice. 
You know. Crithen's mouth was agape. No, what is wrong with you? Sprocket was surprised. Well, I thought, no. What are you two talking about? Marilla asked. Nothing, the two said at once, and the silence after was awkward. Mirella shrugged. Okay, good night then. Good night. Again, the word was simultaneous. After a moment of tense silence, Crethen looked back to Sprocket and shook his head dramatically, mouthing the word no very slowly. My mistake, Sprocket said innocently, taking a blanket toward the opposite wall and setting up a place to sleep. He blew out the lamp once he was ready, and they were soon comfortable. Except for Crethen, with Gizmo waiting patiently at his side. It took Marella a while to realize that he was still by the door, seated and waiting. She rolled over to look at him. Crethen, she said, are you going to sleep? No, was the simple reply. She looked askance at him, wondering what he was up to. He did not turn to her, but began to explain. There is a back door. It was hidden around the corner as we came in, but it is there. It leads to the graveyard. So? So the priest is spending all night tending the people in here, and yet he has the energy to sprinkle what I assume to be holy water on the graves during the day. Doesn't seem like a priority to someone whose town is being overrun by vampires, unless... Unless the vampire is coming from the graveyard. Crethen nodded. At very least, Father Hagen believes that it is. In any case, we might be able to meet this thing head on tonight. Just waiting for the lights to go off in the main room. It will be soon. Mirella stood and strapped her sword belt back on. Sprocket was already standing, reloading his weapons. And they didn't say a word for a while, at least until the thin yellow glow beneath the door faded into darkness. The lights were off. Let's go. Tales from the Rusty Speeder. This is an interactive Star Wars actual play podcast using the Edge of the Empire rules from Fantasy Flight Games. Join our misfit crew of scoundrels, ne'er-do-wells, rascals, miscreants, lowlifes, good-for-nothing reprobates as they find love, purpose, and the courage to carry on. Ha, I'm joking, none of that happens. Instead, they use their questionable contacts and unconventional methods to get the job done. Whatever job happens to be paying today. Tales from the Rusty Speeder. Available wherever you get your podcast and streamed live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash technofunkboy. Five. There was almost a thin layer of mist over the graveyard as the three shadowy figures stepped out of the building and into the darkness. Only one carried a light. She was the only one who needed it. She stayed in the rear of the group trailing behind a dozen steps, while the other two took slightly diverging paths, creating a widening triangle between them as they went. The presence of the mist caused them to be even more cautious than they already planned to be. Their last encounter with a vampire proved quite conclusively that the tales of vampires turning into mist were in fact true, and they really didn't know how to tell a normal everyday graveyard mist from a conjured one. This one, at very least... Didn't seem concentrated enough to be the vampire, but that was a guess more than anything. The autumn air was cold, and Crethen lowered the hood tightly over his head. 
The darkness of the fabric helped him disappear into the dancing shadows of breeze-blown trees that were reaching up toward a dull gibbous moon. Mirella, of course, stood out with the lamp in her hand, but it was not overly bright, just enough for her to see. Sprocket's head came just over some of the taller gravestones, and it bounced about like an apparition. Gizmo could be heard but not seen, and he dashed about between the three, ever checking on each of his masters in turn to see if he was needed in that moment. None of them had yet seen Barragurn, but the falcon was there. Cretha knew that for fact. There was a connection between the two, and Cretha could feel him close by. There was an unearthly quiet there, even though there was sound. The footfalls of the dog, the rustling of the leaves. Those sounds were hollow, like echoes of real sounds contained in a fading memory of a time long past. There was a feeling of real night, not merely a time of day when your work is done and it is time for rest, but rather the grander, more horrible realization that darkness had driven out the sun and the comfort that it was coming back was only as strong as your faith. And faith was hard there, a spiritual pit. It was the very embodiment of the deep, but often denied understanding that hope had died. Like everything else, the graves, the fallen leaves, the crumbling stone, the rotting wood, it was all death. There was no promise for mourning there. It was as if all of this place was quietly whispering to them that morning was forever off now. Crethen, Marilla was beside him, taking his hand. He had not noticed her coming, and he had not noticed the shaking of his hand, but it was violent by then. He was panting, the cloth around his head drenched in sweat. He gasped then, trying to get enough air. She pulled his face around and looked at him. What happened? He shook his head as an answer, because he did not know, but it was gone. It was gone now. The gravestone closest to the church seemed to be the oldest, and a quick look at the dates confirmed it. There were a lot of them in those early years, years now two centuries past. This could not have been when the town was founded, Sprocket said. Too, too many people here. More likely the church was new then, Morella said. Another graveyard, Crethen nodded. An older one. Perhaps that's where our vampire is from? Unlikely, Morella replied. He is a new arrival, remember, so he came from outside or he is more newly dead. As they went, the number of graves made per year was dropping rapidly. In the last hundred years, only a handful or less people died each year, some years not represented at all. This town has been in decline for 200 years, Crethen observed. That solves one mystery, Sprocket said. What's that? Why a town this size wouldn't have an aqueduct? Doesn't make sense for the small of a population. But if the town was larger when the aqueduct was built, it would make more sense, Mirella surmised. Exactly. Farther they went, carefully examining what they saw, the last headstones were dated barely a year ago. They marked that, and then they looked up, and a creeping terror began to take them, one that crawled over their skin like a new chill, one that made them cold and alone and wanting to leave. How, how many? Marilla said, her voice cracking. 
Scores, Crethen said, no less afraid. A hundred, maybe. Before them was a field of wooden crosses hastily placed in the ground, each one marking a new grave. The land before them was covered in them. And all care for order, rows, or spacing was dropped in those burials. They were clearly buried hastily, and likely all at the same time. Though the last date was a year ago, Sprocket said. So all these people died in the last year? Morella wondered. Might be a section for the poor or unclean, Sprocket suggested. People who don't get the fancy headstones? Crethen shook his head. The wood is too new, he explained, kneeling down beside one of the graves. He pushed on the cross in illustration, and while it budged, it didn't fall. These crosses weren't put here last week, but they aren't that old. I, I don't see any of them falling over, having rotted out. So they are from the last year, Morella nodded. And none of them have headstones, Crethen said. None of them. Not even one rich guy whose family managed to get special treatment. He grunted, then walked toward the fence at the edge of the graveyard. He climbed over quickly, then across the street with determined speed. Crethen! Morella called. Wait, Sprocket cautioned, understanding what his friend was doing. Crethen went to the tradesman building, which was of course closed for the night, but he was able to go to a window and look inside. His perception pushed away the darkness easily, before he did not rely on light to see, and he searched for answers. Getting through the glass was a problem for his new way of seeing, but the window was cracked enough to give him a view. He's dead, isn't he? Sprocket called. Gizmo scurried out of the graveyard into Sprocket's side. Dead or gone, Crethen said. Who? Morella said. The stonemason, Crethen replied. There are tools in there, but no indication that his shop has been used in ages. Maybe he stopped using it and sells out of his workshop, but I doubt it. Something tells me that whatever happened to kill a hundred people in this town in the last year took him as well. They've done their best they can in the meantime. But the vampire only came in the last week, Morella said. Crethen nodded. It wasn't this vampire who did this, but I wonder if this vampire was created then. Please join us next week for more of The Hallowing of Ground. The Hallowing of Ground was written and read by me, Paul Lytle. Copyright 2019. All music in the episode was composed by me and performed by the Techno Funk Boy. You can find links to my Discord server and Patreon in the episode description. Paul Lytle's Perilous Realms is a Play Well Network podcast. <laughs> <laughs>